Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got a really, really interesting show for you. We are adding on to our series that we've done on this show called Lumberyard Lingo. Uh, this is officially Lumberyard Lingo number three. That's right. Lumberyard Trace. Lingo three. We've talked about in previous shows... We've talked about dimensional lumber, all different kinds of dimensional lumber. Sheet goods. Yeah, and terms that are used to reference those products. And um, a lot of them have names that are sometimes seem silly or uh, don't seem to really fit in with what the actual product is. And yet, it's something that you would hear if you were to go into a lumberyard to buy those types of products. And so we also talked about sheet goods in another one, Lumberyard Lingo 2. And here we are, Lumberyard Lingo 3. And I think we're going to try to focus on um, accessories to those types of items. Dimensional lumber and sheet goods, those make up a large portion of what Par Lumber Company sells or a building material supplier will sell. But then there's a lot of accessories that sell with those things. And they also seem to have specific terminology that set them apart from other types of items. Right, and what these items are and what they do. So we're going to kind of go over some of those things. For instance, Tony, I remember way back when, many years ago, where I started in the construction materials supply, you know, my career at Par Lumber Company, and somebody came in asking for a box of Ticos. <laughs> yeah, Tico. Ticos. That's a great term. And I'm like, what in the world? is a Tico. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I had no idea what a Tico was, so I had to ask. Yeah. I had to ask the guy working next to me, and he laughed. Oh, you don't know what a Tico is? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm new. I don't know what a Tico is. Well, it turns out it is a joist hanger nail. Right. Yeah. Joist hanger is something that holds up a joist. Um, and it has little holes in it on both sides, and you use a specific kind of nail with high shear value. Yep. Uh, and, and they're very short. Yep. They're an uh, inch and a quarter or an inch and a half. Yep. So if you're nailing it on to, say, a two by 10 that is an inch and a half thick, you won't nail through it. So that's what they are. But why I mean, don't people call them joist hanger nails? I don't know. Well, I don't even know. Like, you search the word Tico. In nothing, you can't find anything. It's really weird. <laughs> it is funny. It's a, I don't know, and I may, maybe it's a regional thing. You know, here's another term that uh, that is kind of funny. How about a board stretcher? <laughs> did Did any of your coworkers tell you to go grab the board stretcher? I am not that. That, no. that board is too I was short. never that gullible. We need a board stretcher to make it longer. That is definitely a term that gets used there, um, but there, there is no such thing. So, uh, oh, so you know what? I just Googled, sorry. I just Googled Tico. And A, you have to know how to spell it, which I, I do now. <laughs> uh, Tico is spelled T I C O, and it was actually a, a brand name. Oh, really? A brand that no longer exists, uh, a company called Tico that made these 0.148 diameter 
inch and a half long nails specifically for hanging joist hangers. So the anyway, the company that's... is now defunct. That is so funny. I feel like that's the case with a lot of things. A primary example, that name, obviously, Tico, came from a brand, like you just said. Another Other names that come from brands that stick with something and you, you wouldn't know otherwise, like Velcro. Right, yeah. Velcro is a, is a brand name of hook and loop or the hook and loop type attachment. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you weren't thinking, if you weren't thinking along the right lines, then, uh, that, and, and of course with the company being gone now, it makes sense that it would be kind of obscure. I remember another one at that time where somebody came in asking me for a roll of leather back. (laughs) I mean, and that, I, I mean, we've talked about this before because you you had somebody who called OSB or something Shemangi. Shemangi, yeah, yeah, very common. I, mean, I, I, I had, still have never heard that from somebody's lips other than yours, <laughs> but uh, I you get remembered it. it though. I do remember it. That's great. Uh, but it might be regional. So some of these things I would take with a grain of salt. You know, these are these are things in our industry that people use, and they I'm sure they change, and it probably depends on where you are. If you're in Spokane, there's probably terminology you use up there in lingo that. Probably make no sense to me. Sure. And maybe some of the things we're saying made no sense to you. Sure. I, but I think for the most part, uh, we're not really focusing on the the slang lingo in this show. We're talking about actual products and what they're used for. Yeah. I think it's very Tico's funny. A weird one. Because but. Tico's um, are hot dipped. Yes. Uh, but, you know, hot dipped, What what does that mean? I right, mean, that's another that's another kind of term that gets used for more than just Tico's. Right. Well, let's let's start off here. We've got we kind of broke the show out into different sections. We're gonna take we're gonna talk about fasteners, siding, maybe some window and doors, uh, just different terminology in there. So when you talk about fasteners, you when somebody walks in the door and says, "I need a box of vinyl coated sinkers," well, you know those are hand drive nails. You know that. Some people call them greenies. Yeah, yeah. Greenies are also a dog treat. You know that. They <laughs> clean their teeth. But the, the reason they call them greenies is because they're coated with a, a vinyl that makes them slippery when you nail them into wood. And they're sort so of like a, like a greenish yellow color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but we know that because they don't make vinyl coated sinkers in a gun nail. So if you walked into the store and said, hey, give me, I need a box of, you know, three-inch hot dip galvanized, the first question out of the person behind the counter would say, uh, gun or hand drive. Right. Hand drive means they're loose. You buy them by the pound. Some places still sell them by the pound. We sell them by the pound, but they're uh, not really, like, loose in a bin anymore. We, right. We sell them in containers of one pound or five pound. One pound-ish and five pound-ish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like count. There's like 350 count But nails. for so long, we did scoop them out of a bin. We had those yeah. little those little claw, uh, like a little gardening tool, and you would reach in there and scrape those things yep. out. and 50, them, 50 pound. You can still buy 25 pound and put 50 them in a pound bag and boxes of them. Throw them on a scale and weigh it. Yeah, that was, uh, it's doesn't, it seems like it hasn't been that long ago, well, but it's and I think, been years. I think because a majority of the industry has switched over to using pneumatic guns, you don't necessarily need hand drives in that quantity yeah. anymore. So you'll get you know big time framers that will walk in and, and order a, a fifty pound box of you know ten D, which is a three inch, 
which we should probably talk about that too. Oh, ten penny, ten penny, a ten penny nail. That's that's kind of an interesting one. Yeah, tell me about that. What's a ten penny nail? Is well, that... I don't have time. We got a break here coming. Oh, up. we got. <laughs> um, well, let's get into that after the break. That's a, that's a very interesting thing. Terminology when you talk about nails is the penny. Yeah, ten penny, sixteen penny. Yeah, I had somebody. I guy actually told me one time. Some it was an older guy. He says like, well, that's how long it would be to reach the top of a stack of pennies. So if you stacked up 10 <laughs> pennies, then it would, you know, with 10 pennies. And I remember doing the math on that and I'm like, well, 10 pennies is not three inches long. So I already know that didn't work. We got to take a quick break. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with some lumberyard lingo. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking lumberyard lingo, and before the break, we were talking about fasteners. There's there's so many fasteners in the construction world, and especially with nails, right? And you asked me before the break uh, about the D. When you talk about 10 penny or... Uh, 10D nail. 10D nail. So it's actually very interesting because... And I'll read the the description here right from the website. Penny sizes originally referred to the price for a hundred or long hundred of nails in England in the 15th century. (laughs) The larger the nail, the higher cost per hundred. The system remained in use in England till the 20th century, where it's obsolete now, but... We still continue to call them. In the the D is actually an abbreviation for denarius, which is a Roman coin similar to penny. Interesting. That was an abbreviation for the monetary penny in the in the UK before decimalization. So a sixteen penny nail would cost sixteen pennies for a hundred nails. For a hundred. Sixteen per hundred. Well, I mean, that makes more sense than the stack thing because you know yeah. it just, just wasn't right. So when you look at a chart. You know, we we deal a lot in construction world. We deal, deal a lot with six penny, seven penny, eight, ten, twelve, and sixteen. Beyond that, it's not very common in our world. It probably would be more common in other. Well, we we things. still mess with twenty penny galvanized common or twenty penny bright common. Sometimes forty penny commons for a pole barn application. Sure, sure. But that's what I mean. It's, they're just not terribly right. Right. You, you know, like. When somebody walks in, you're probably selling them a box of 10D or 16D, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's kind of the the norm. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, or ace. Yeah, so something else that's interesting. Uh, nails, so we call them sometimes box nails, finish nails, uh, common nails, siding nails. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different kinds, and they all go by the same designation with the penny, right? Right. Like, But if somebody came to me and said, I need a five-penny nail. A uh, five penny nail to me would be a siding nail or a shake nail. Yeah, it's, well, we we designate it by what it's used for. Right. So, so if you somebody said I need some sevens or some sixes, I need a box of spiral sixes. You kind of know, I kind of know that they're going to use that for siding because that's what the siding nails are for. They're two inches long, 
and they're spiral and they're probably hot dipped or stainless steel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So these are just the things you would want to know. But if you want, you can go find a, a chart online that has all of the D uh, or penny descriptions from 2D, which is one inch, all the way to 60D, which is six inch. And 10 inches or a 10D is a three inch, 16D is a three and a half. Sure. A 12 is a three and a quarter. I mean, these are just things that are, it's lingo. Right. So when somebody comes in or when you go in to buy a box of nails, you can probably tell them I need a box of three inch gun nails. Um, or you could say, I need a box of tens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And ten strip. Ten D greenies. Ten or ten D strip nails. And that <laughs> oh, yeah. means that means they're in a the collet yep. for a, yep. a pneumatic gun. You keep saying hot dip. Hot dip. Hot dip versus what specifically? What are the other well, options? So and what does hot dip even mean? Yeah, so hot dip. So there's there's actually um four different options. There's green, final coated. There's electro-galvanized, which a lot of guys call electros. I want a box of electros. Box of electros. Or HDG, or hot dips, or bright. Mm. So when we say brights... I like my nails bright. (laughs) They are literally that. They are shiny. They have no coating on them. If you were to take a shiny, bright nail and take it to the coast for one day, it would be completely rusty. (laughs) Yeah. In 24 hours. Right. You know, you take uh, an electro-galvanized nail, it would take a little bit longer because the coating, electro-galvanized coating, is very thin. It's a galvanized coating, but it's just not very thick. And it's applied by with some kind of a charge or something. Yeah, sure. It's I'm, not not like, exa- I'm actually not positive on yeah, the, the, the yeah. scientific, uh, how they apply the coating on an electro-galvanized nail, but I'm assuming by the name... They're electro-galvanized. Maybe they charge it and they put the galvanized coating on there. To, I whatever. feel like I can tell uh, by the description of a hot dip galvanized nail. When I look at a hot dip galvanized nail, it looks like it was dipped in some it absolutely know, is. some stuff and then came out. And, you know, some stuff is stuck to it. And sometimes it's, you know, it's not necessarily always super clean. Hot dip galvanized stuff looks like it was dipped in something and then set to dry. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's a it's a liquid form of zinc it's like a process of iron and steel and zinc that they melt down and then they literally take whatever steel that you're dumping into it and and dip it they dip it in there sometimes once or twice or more to get the coating thickness around it and the reason they do that is for uh, the protection of the nail itself so we we know that if you use pressure treated lumber you have to use hot-dipped galvanized nails. And if you don't, then the reaction, because there's um, copper in PT, it will react with the zinc and create electrolysis and, and prematurely rust those nails out. We know that. Some of our, A lot of our listeners probably know that. But they might not know the reason why. But that's it. Hot-dipped galvanized nails, that's what those are for. So you might get that question too. So you have to use hot dip galvanized nails with pressure treated as a minimum. As a minimum. You can also jump up to stainless steel, which is really probably preferred. I feel like the problem is stainless steel is much harder to come by. It costs a little bit more money. It's not available in all of the you know sizes and things that, that may be just readily available right on the shelf. It just seems to be in a little shorter supply and it costs a little bit more money. But stainless steel for sure is the number one way to go, especially if you're at the beach. Yeah, if you're within, I forget what it is, like 500 yards of the beach, 
you absolutely want to use stainless steel hangers and stainless steel nails, fasteners for anything. Because everything else, even if it's hot dipped, that salty rust, that salt air will rust it so fast. Yeah, stainless steel seems to be the number one choice for fasteners or hardware or anything that you're using that uh, is susceptible to rust, um, a.k.a. it's the best, <laughs> right? And then the another thing that's similar to that is aluminum. Aluminum is an alloy that will not rust, but it doesn't have the strength that, uh, these, seal, that yeah. these fasteners have, so you know it's not used in the same way. Yeah, another actually uh, good part about stainless steel nails is that they are they're more malleable than like a harder steel. So in a really high wind or or something like that, where they're they're moving constantly moving, if you were to take a stainless steel nail and bend it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, it wouldn't break as as quickly as a steel head nail would right sure right you know, exactly sheer strength on a on a it, it may not be as strong but it's more malleable so if you're talking about a box nail a 10 penny galvanized hot dip galvanized box nail versus a 10 penny hot dip galvanized common you actually wouldn't find a hot dip galvanized common i feel like common nails are mostly available in bright common yes. nails are bright Box nails are galvanized, but um, the difference between the two of them, apart from the coating, is that a common nail is much thicker. It's a it's a larger gauge wire yes. that it's made out of. That's that's exactly it. I mean, it's all that's how nails are made. They run them through. It's like wire on a spool that they run through a machine. They cut them. They smash them. They put the head on there. Uh, box nails are a little bit thinner shank less likely to split the wood that you're using them on. So it just depends on what you're making. Uh, in the construction industry, commons are more common. Yeah. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. I mean, I guess it doesn't sound weird, but. Interesting. Yeah, here's a little tip. I just want to share this with you. If you're using a nail and you're doing some woodwork, some sort of woodwork, and you're nailing it together like maybe a, a birdhouse or something. If you've got a sharp point on your nail and you use it to put two pieces of wood together, there's a good possibility it'll split. One way to keep that from happening is to take your ha hammerhead and blunt the tip of that nail before you drive it in. And there's less likelihood that it will cause the wood to split. That's absolutely right. That's a great little tip that I learned some time ago and I thought I would share it. We gotta take a quick break. When we come back, more Lumberyard lingo. Don't go away. Built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Hey, if you haven't already, go check out our Facebook and Instagram pages. We are at WW Home Show. Uh, or we'd really like it if you went and liked and followed our uh, YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com, and search the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. That'll bring us up. Uh, if you can't figure any of that stuff out, you can always go to our website. It's www.homeshow.com and uh, click on the whatever the link's there, and that'll take you over to it. If you miss any part of this show and you want to go listen to it or any of our old shows, we got all of them listed 
uh, on wherever you listen to your podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. I downloaded iHeartRadio. Oh, you did? The iHeartRadio app on my phone, and I went in there, and I searched the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, and I found it, and uh, subscribed to it, and downloaded it, right? Because I normally listen to it always on Spotify, because I use Spotify a lot. But I thought I might as well have it on iHeartRadio, so I grabbed the app, and I got it on there. And I started listening to a show, and then I got interrupted. I was at work. And um, and I just set my phone down. It played through shows <laughs> for like the next five hours. But here's the thing. You know what I didn't realize? My internet, my um, Wi-Fi was turned off. And so I used my mobile data to listen to like 20 episodes <laughs> of our show. Uh, yeah, racked up a... a Pretty good amount of data on my phone. That's um, funny. And I didn't even listen to it. That's hilarious. Uh, but yeah, iHeartRadio. We're on there. It works. iHeartRadio with Spotify. It's yeah. good. Not that you'd want to. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know it, who would want to. If you want to. I want to, but that's me. Uh, all right. So we're talking about Lumberyard Lingo today. Uh, we actually have been really focusing on fasteners. There's so many different fasteners in the construction industry. Uh, we've talked about hand drive versus gun nails. Vinyl coated, electro galvanized, hop dipped galvanized, Tico's, box nails, common nails, spiral siding. I mentioned those. There's also uh, ring shank, and these things are used for very specific tasks. Ring shank nails offer better holding power. You'll see a lot of them, a lot of time, used for siding. Uh, so that way, when the wind comes in and blows, it, it won't pull the clapboards off. Uh, it'll hold them tighter to the surface. Um, particle board subfloor. Yeah, particle board subfloor. Ring no shank use. nails, always particle board subfloor. Yep. You don't want those squeaks. It'll because when it. you're pulling it up, and they're so hard to get out, it's the most frustrating thing on the planet. <laughs> but boy, oh boy, do those nails hold good. Yeah, they hold hard. Uh, duplex. Do you know what duplex nails are for, Tony? I do. They are for building a form. Yep. Uh, concrete form. A lot of guys use it for that, yep. Um, uh, and the, here's the thing. It's got two heads. It's got a double head, a duplex. That's why they call it a duplex. It's got two heads. And uh, and you can nail it in tight down to the first head, but then that second head there just makes it so much easier to get it back out. That's right. The, f the first head will drive down tight and make that nail tight, and then it has this extra second little bit there with a second head on it so you can get it out easy. Put it in, get it out. Put it in, get it out. Yep. You can use a nail puller on it or whatever just to get to get them out. They're basically for temporary things. Exactly. For temporary use and the easy in, easy out. That's what dupes are for. Yeah, and they are not galvanized because they're temporary. Yep, they don't matter. Yeah, if you walked in and ordered, tried to order a box of hot dip galvanized duplex nails, they'd probably look at you weird. Yeah, why in the world? <laughs> Fluted masonry nails, that's kind of a... It's kind of a Odd duck, isn't it? Yeah, fluted masonry nails are can you you drive them into concrete? They actually will drive directly into somewhat fresh concrete. Yeah, it's very hard. It's extremely interesting that you think about driving a nail into concrete, but it's it's literally what that's for. Yep, they're you don't have to pre-drill or anything, and they are fat. Yeah, they're fat, and they're they have a very sharp tip, mm -hmm. and they're hard. Yep, they are. And then, of course, the you know the last of which is roofing nails. Roofing nail is is uh, unique because the head on the nail is so much bigger around, large diameter on a on a the head of a roofing nail. You can probably guess why. 
because it's holding down roofing and you wouldn't want the nail to poke through the roofing exactly. and then the roofing would get free, right? That's exactly right. And so it's got a larger, it's not very thick, but it's a, but it's a large diameter head. And uh, those nails are traditionally on the shorter side. Uh, you can find those in a three quarter, one inch, inch and a quarter, inch and a half. And uh, here's something that's interesting, Corey. There is, seems to be two schools of thought with roofing nails. If you're putting down roofing and you're nailing it down with roofing nails. Is it roofing or roofing? It could be roofing or roofing, <laughs> the roof of my mouth. Um, if you're putting the roofing nails down, right, do you want that nail to poke through the sheeting and be um, and be exposed on the underneath side of the roof in the attic space? Or do you want that nail to terminate in the middle of the sheeting? Hmm. I don't know. There's two schools of thought there. I feel like some people are like, oh, I don't want the nail to poke through. And then other guys are like, oh, no, the nail needs to poke through. If the nail pokes through, then your water that were to get there and run down the nail would come all the way out and not terminate inside of the sheeting where it would cause it to rot. Hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe we get some roofers, some, some professional We need to get roofers. some tips from one of our listeners that can tell us about whether or not a roofing nail is intended to break the, the interior surface of your roof sheeting. I can think of a situation where you absolutely would not want the roofing nail to puncture through. Okay. On an overhang. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't want to be able to see it for right. sure. So on an overhang, you know, in, when an you talk exposed about the, Eve. the roof tails, the truss tails or uh, roof rafters come out, then you have the plywood that covers that area. And typically, if they're not, like you said, enclosed, enclosed soffits are different, but you would see that plywood up there on the surface and it's nailed down. It's You still have to use roofing nails. Right. So they actually will use a shorter nail to ensure that it doesn't puncture through. And you see on the underhand or the overhangs, a bunch of little nails. Yeah. Inter very interesting. I actually have a customer. You know this customer well. They use half-inch roof sheathing for their whole roofs, except for the overhangs. They use 5.8s. Oh, interesting. No matter what, they always use 5.8s, so they will ensure that the roofing nails do not puncture that. Because when it, you get it punctured, it looks terrible. Yeah. It really does. Yep, absolutely. So they do that, and then they float it out with a row of roofing where the five-eighths meets the half-inch, you never even see it. it you know, great. they don't always use roofing nails when they put roofing down. Sometimes they use roofing staples. That's right. Well, very common staples to, is the next one on my list. Yeah, very common to use a roofing staple that, of course, you can't drive with your with a, na with a hammer. You, you have to put that staple in there with a gun. Yes, a staple gun. Uh, there's two ways, or there's two things about staples, well, I guess three, that you would need to, when you order staples, or buy a box of staples, they're going to want to know the crown, and they're going to want to know the legs. The crown? We're not talking about royalty. Okay. <laughs> the crown. <laughs> and the legs. Is the, the two most important things, <laughs> the crown and the legs. We're talking about the width. The crown means the width. So if you have a quarter crown, that means it's a quarter inch wide staple. And then the legs is the length of the staple. So that's a, all that means. A quarter inch crown, one inch staple. Yep, means and, quor and, quarter inch wide, one inch long. And then you have the gauge. The, the gauge. The wire gauge. Yeah, the wire gauge, and then the, the coating. So most of them would be electro-galvanized 
I'm not sure if you can get actually. Depends on the staple. You might be able to get hot dip. You could definitely get stainless steel. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then so that just leaves one staple, which is a, a fence staple. They make these fence staples, which looks like a nail that's sort of been bent into the shape of a U. And you use that to nail on, say, a horse fence or some sort of um, wire fencing. And when you put that wire fencing up on the post, you nail it with these galvanized fence staples that are like three quarter or inch and a quarter long or so. You drive that with a hammer. Well, wire um, wire staples too. Oh, yeah. Elect for electrical. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Romex staples. Yeah, exactly. Kind of got a flat top on them. Yeah, that's another interesting thing. I didn't even think about that. And that's not even about framing. Well, there, there certainly is a lot to talk about. Uh, we've got a few more fasteners, but they won't be in the nails. No, we're going to move into some more. Don't go away, folks. We've got lots more lingo for you. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Hang in there. show built by par lumber now here's tony and Corey. hey welcome back to the weekend warriors home improvement show thanks for sticking around today tony and i are talking about lumberyard lingo and uh, we've been talking about nails man for the, for the last three segments <laughs> there's a lot there are yeah. you know and we just want you to be informed because when you go into the front counter and you order a box of our <laughs> so funny that's a spiral shank nail it is the spiral uh, shank nail specifically designed for decking that's right because you f- don't want your decking coming up and those spiral shank nails when they go in boy they don't want to come out well and specifically our docks have a finish head on them that's right They're a very small head so when you nail down your cedar decking you want to use our docks yeah they, they would actually in the size uh, that a decking nail comes in they would call it a casing head Instead of a finish head. Correct. Yeah. Finish heads technically are much smaller nails, but it, they look the same, just a larger version. Yeah. Pretty um, but all weeds now. Yeah, I know, but a lot of guys that are putting down wood decking definitely want to have a nail with a box head on it. Uh, but those guys, I feel like, are fewer and further between these days. Yeah, most of most decking going down now is probably composite. Yeah. And hidden fastener anyway. <laughs> yeah. A lot for of this sure. stuff is dying yeah absolutely so then there's fasteners that are so much larger than nails and there's a lot of those um, bolts yeah bolts we call them bolts right there's hex, lots of different types of bolts too hex bolts lag bolts carriage bolts what's a carriage bolt a carriage bolt is is a, a bolt that's used when you build a carriage it maybe it was <laughs> at, at some point but a carriage bolt is has a rounded Top on it. So very, when, very finished looking. When it's, it's a, yeah, you, you would see carriage bolts used where A, you don't want somebody to be able to unthread them. Like a, like a play structure. Yeah, like it's very common. Yeah, it's like a, maybe like a security thing where, and they're rounded over so you're not going to get any sharp edges on them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you would see them there. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just rounded over. And then when you tighten the, the bolt, they actually have a square on the bottom, so when you push them into wood, they kind of lock into place. So yeah, you can... right below the round head, the finished head, is a square, like a kind of like a nut that's built on there. Yeah. And then as you tighten it down, that 
square drives into the wood and locks it into place yep. so that you can turn the nut down tight on the other end and, and it doesn't spin. Yeah, it's a very cool, um, very cool Carriage fastener. Bolt. Mm-hmm. Carriage and, bolt. And I'm actually going to look up the, uh, I don't know. Where yeah. <laughs> the origination of the carriage bolt came from. But. Uh, you know, doing the same job as a carriage bolt is a hex bolt, but a hex bolt has a big um, a big head on it that stays on the outside, and you can put a wrench right on it. It's like octagonal in shape, usually, I think. Mm-hmm. And you can put a wrench on it and then put the wrench on the other side to spin the nut tight. On a, yeah, on a nut. Yeah, very common. And you find these things in quarter inch, three-eighths, half inch, maybe even five-sixteenths, all the way up to inch and a quarter. Yeah, I mean, inch and a quarter bolt is a big old hex bolt, I'll tell you. But they use them to build houses today. Yeah, very strong. Very, very strong. Then you get into a lag bolt. A lag bolt. Which is completely different from a hex bolt. It's funny because the word lag reminds me of when you're playing pool and each of you hit the cue ball down to the other side and see who can get closest to the rail coming back. They call that Lag. Let's lag for break. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. Really? Yeah. Let's yeah. lag for break. I think the young weird. when the young crowd hears the term lag, they think of uh, a video game slowing down. <laughs> lag. <laughs> no. That's I hear funny. my kids say it now all the time. Oh, I've got lag. <laughs> or glitch. Yeah, that's funny. Glitching. <clears throat> so uh, lag bolts have a head just like a hex bolt, but it doesn't take a nut on the other side. This actually has comes to a point, pierces the the material that you're putting it into like a screw. So it's kind of like a mix between a screw and a and a hex bolt. Uh, it's got big old threads on it, and again, those come pretty big. You know, half inch, five eighths, three quarters inch around. Really beefy bolts that you drive in. And boy, when you're driving a lag bolt, a big lag bolt into some wood, it can be a job getting that thing driven in there. Pre-drilling before you put a big old half or five-eighths lag bolt into a piece of wood is a good way to go. Oh, yeah, almost necessary. Yeah. Depend- I mean, if you're driving in smaller quarter-inch lag bolts, you probably don't need to pre-drill. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you get into a half-inch, five-eighths, three-quarter, It's I would say it's necessary. Otherwise, you're just going to really, really work hard at it and possibly split the wood. Yeah, and you just want to make sure that you drill your hole, you know, quite a bit smaller than the lag actually is. You want to make sure that the threads on that thing really bite in, uh, but it shouldn't have to displace all of that wood. Correct. So that's a good tip. Here's a funny one for you. A redhead. You know what a redhead... I mean, (laughs) I work with a couple redheads, but when somebody walks into the store and orders redheads, I mean, we both know what they're talking about. Yeah, redhead, very common term. It's It's actually a brand... Redhead is a brand okay. of a wedge anchor. Mm-hmm. And what, what that means is it goes into concrete, and it has at the bottom, it's like a bolt that goes down into the concrete, and then it's threaded, and you put a washer and a nut on it. And as you thread it down, on the other end that's in the concrete, it has like a cone-shaped uh, metal. Like a bell-shaped bottom. bell shape at the bottom with a sliding sleeve. With little nubbins on it. And the sleeve will not slide over the bell because the bell is larger at the bottom than the sleeve is. Correct. The sleeve is around the smaller portion of the shank. So, And as you tighten it up, that sleeve grabs the concrete that you've pre-drilled and it expands, essentially wedging that threaded bolt into the concrete. Right. 
it's, that's why they call them wedge anchors. Yeah, and the threading is up at the top. That's what sticks out of the hole, and that's what you fasten down with. Very important when you're using a redhead or a wedge anchor that uh, you leave enough thread at the top or bury enough thread at the top so that when you're tightening that thing down, it can slip up a little bit until it finds its locking point and you still have thread to run your nut Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. And also make sure that you are accounting for the thickness of the material that you're holding down to the concrete. Correct. Yeah, so it can be, uh, it can be, um, it can be tricky, right? Uh, Another thing to keep in mind when you're using a wedge anchor or a redhead is to the thickness of the concrete that you're putting it into. If you've got a four-inch concrete slab and you buy a five-inch wedge anchor, you may be reaching the bottom of your concrete. And you could drill through your you slab. you could drill right through your slab and end up not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, then in that application, you could always switch to a Titan bolt, which is very similar to a lag bolt. Uh, but Simpson Strong Tie makes them. They're, a, they're like a threaded concrete anchor right. that you thread into it just like you would into a wo- uh, wood. M- like much wood easier to wood. use, yes. Yeah, Titans are really, really cool. Um, they also make what's called a pin drive or an, an easy, easy anchor. Easy anchor. Yeah. Easy A, we call them. Yeah. Uh, what those are is like a wedge anchor, but on through the middle, it's hollow, and through the middle is a long pin with a point on it. And on the other end, you drive it down, you hit it, you put it in the hole, and you hit the hammer, drives that pin down. And it wedges out. It spreads the bottom. Yep, spreads the bottom. Yeah, it's got a little pie shape cut into the bottom down there. And as the pin goes through it, it opens that up and doesn't allow that thing to come back out. Again, the key being your your the bottom of that anchor needs to be solidly into the concrete slab that right. you're attaching if to. If you've gone through the slab, yeah. it will not work. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's that's great. Those are great products. I, I love those products. Yeah, so another one for concrete would be, we talked about a Titan bolt. There's also smaller Titan screws that are threaded screws specifically designed for pre-drilling into concrete and threading them in. If you were hanging a mailbox onto a brick wall or something, you would use Titan screws. Yeah, they call them blue screws or concrete screws. Yep. Those are very common. Those are um, fantastic. Again, important to make sure that the hole that you drill pre-screwing in is the right size. Uh, generally, they will actually require a hole that's the same size as the call-out of the screw. And so the gauge of the screw itself or the gauge of the main shank of the screw is the same size as the hole you drill, but the threading is larger than that. Yeah. Uh, another one, split bolt. That was a kind of a weird one. Yeah, it is. Very I, cool. I sell lots of split bolts. They're actually, uh, they're, they look like really heavy-duty nails, um, maybe like a quarter inch in diameter. And at the very end of them, they're split and rounded. <laughs> yeah. So as you nail them in, that that split that's that's bent out causes friction inside that hole so you can nail things to concrete yep with just a, a nail you wouldn't want to use them say like on a ceiling right if you were had a concrete ceiling and you put a split bolt in there to hold something up that's not what they're for they're more for shear so if you're nailing something to a wall uh they wouldn't allow it to slide down you're putting that shear horizontally sure. across the nail rather mm-hmm. than pull out strength right the, right the pull out strength of a uh, a split bolt isn't very high. Yeah. That's a very unique item, actually. Okay, we got to take another quick break. When we come back, more lumberyard lingo. We'll be right back.
Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Today we're talking about lumber yard lingo. And uh, the whole first half, man, was about fasteners. And so I many ha- fasteners. I have a few fasteners left. Oh, man. I know. I feel really bad about this. But there are, a, there's a brand of fastener called Fasten Master. That's right. Fasten Master makes a great product. They make lots of great products. And they make products called Ledger Lock is probably their most famous. Uh, it's specifically for um, threading on like a ledger for a deck. Mm-hmm. The the one ledger lock is equivalent to a half-inch lag, but they drive in a lot easier. They're much smaller diameter, but it's hardened steel. They're coated. Uh, They also make head locks and timber locks. So if you're interested in those, uh, instead of pre-drilling for half-inch lags and, you know, going out and buying lag screws and a bolt, you can use ledger locks. It even comes with the bit. Uh, so go check that out there at fastenmaster.com. Great product. Yeah, agreed. Uh, man, should we we probably shouldn't even talk about these. Yeah. Pin, pin, <laughs> pin nails, brad nails, finish well, nails. So we didn't talk a lot about finish nails, but it is notable if you're doing interior finish work or if you fancy yourself a, a craftsman, you know, when it comes to woodworking, uh, you, you know, you're probably going to be using smaller, finer nails and not those big, you know, framing type things. And you can buy hand drive finish nails. They're used less and less. These days, it's so easy to get your hands on on a brad nailer or a finish nailer or a micro pinner. Uh, these are these are tiny little nails. I mean, they're they're, tiny. they're not even really nails. They're they're brads. They have no head on them. Yeah, they call them brads. It's just like it's magically inserting a very short, small, insignificant piece of wire in between two pieces of wood. You almost can't even see it once it's in there, and yet it holds those things together. With friction alone. Yeah, with friction. Anyways, uh, very cool. They sell in a box, you know, of, um, I don't know, 5,000, which seems like a lot, but, uh, you know, if you use your brad nailer or your pinner a lot, um, you, you'll go through them. I do want to go over one more situation with fasteners uh, you know everybody kind of knows the strip nail they come in long strips it is notable that different pneumatic guns can take different strip nails depending on the gun that you have the the angle at which the rack is at and the collation the as coalition. well yeah so so some nail guns are at a different degree like and a 21 I, degree, for 20, example. 21 degrees is probably your most common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, But they also make a 25 degree or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember because we don't sell a ton of them. But if you try to put those nails in your gun, they won't fire. They'll just jam up, right? You have to kind of rack it just to get it in there. Won't work. Yeah. And years ago, and there's we, we don't see them very much anymore, Senko made a paper collated nail, which had a clipped head. And so oh, it's right. later after clipped heads were very, very popular, um, there was a code change and a full round head was required. And so when they when a full round head was required, they had to change the collation from paper to plastic collation, which actually now when 
the nails are in the rack of the gun, you can see that there's spaces between the nails. Before, when it was a clipped head, the nails were actually tight together and they were just collated with paper. Well, that's uh, why they were clipped. Yeah, and some of those some of those guns, because Senko makes a great product, some of those guns are still around today. But finding paper collated clipped head nails can be challenging. Well, and it probably depends on the market that you're in. Um, a lot of the rules regarding those nails particularly are seismic related. So we live in a seismic area, right? Oregon, Washington, California. We, we, we know that we have different design criteria for our homes. They're engineered to withstand earthquakes. It's just the way it is. So clipped head nails don't meet that criteria. Mm -hmm. So you, you go over to the Midwest, and I'm sure you can buy clipped head nails. Yeah. I almost guarantee it. But you will find, like, for example, you talked about Joyce Tanger Nails or Tico Nails earlier. They do make uh, a product called Strap. They make a gun called a Strap Tight Gun. And that Strap Tight brand of uh, Hitachi, I think, is the maker of that. Metabo. Oh, Metabo now, now, yeah. yeah. Uh, those strap tight nails are also paper collated, which is different than plastic collated. And then, of course, you were talking about these types of strip nails and the different angles that they could be. And then, of course, you go away from that, and another gun nail is a coil nail. It's not a strip at all. Right. It comes in a coil, and uh, and you have to have a coil gun to go with your coil nail or a strip nailer to go with your strip nails. Most often, coil nailers are used for roofing, siding, sometimes framing, but not usually. You would see them when they're nailing off sheathing. Sure. So you, the biggest nail you'd probably put in there would be like a two and three eighths. Speaking of seismic, seismic anomalies, there's a lot of hardware out there that's needed specifically for that. I feel like when we talk about joist hangers or you know, column caps or post bases, that yeah. kind of stuff. That is all hardware. What we um, buy and sell is made by Simpson. There's other brands of uh, hardware out there, but Simpson's si the probably the most common. But the best. Simpson hardware is used when you're trying to meet code and you're building your structure and, and the code is pretty partial to, or because of seismic requirements. That's correct. And it's funny because seismic requirements in the state of Oregon, at least, I mean, you think about earthquakes, you think of California, right? We don't <laughs> have earthquakes here in the Pacific Northwest. But the fact is, we live in a very seismic hotbed. We're in the ring of fire. We just don't eat. We just haven't seen it yet. So they, they know that something's coming. <laughs> Somebody's seen it. They, they know that something's coming. Uh, they just haven't seen it yet. So they actually didn't know about it. They've realized it over the years. So now we're designing and building houses to this really high seismic standard. Uh, and what we mean by that, and, and what we mean by that is that it didn't really become popular until what, the late 90s? Maybe the, even the 2000s where you really started to see it right. pop up in code. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to the old timers that come in and say, well, I built a deck on my house 30 years ago. I need to replace it. I didn't have all any of that fancy hardware. You know, you nailed the beam to the top of the post and you rolled with it. Well, it's not like that anymore. There are, I mean, the Simpson catalog now is like 300 pages. It's crazy. So just keep that in mind. There's hangers, post caps, hold downs, hurricane clips, straps. Oh, so many. So you, you, uh, 
you may not have seen something like that in the past, but you definitely will if you go to do a remodel. Yeah, in this day and age. Absolutely. And they and they can be very helpful in multiple ways, even if you're not trying to meet code or trying to seismically improve your situation. They come in handy because they replace uh, other alternatives for putting things together. It makes it a little stronger, just makes it a little easier to do, I feel like. Well, absolutely. So that's why that's there, and, and it's uh, it's a lot. There's and a lot. And Simpson makes almost a strap or a hanger or something for almost every application known to man. I'll just tell you. <laughs> We've got more Lumberyard lingo when we come back. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about lumber yard lingo, which happens to be our third in a series of shows where we talk about terminology that we use in the lumber yard. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I, we, we kind of don't even, we don't even have a full grasp of all of the <laughs> things that we say on a regular basis that uh, we just take for granted that. That, that everybody is, knows that everybody knows what that is. Yeah, that's true. You know, and whether you're, you know, getting a job at a lumber yard or you just want to go into a lumber yard and buy some materials, um, you know, these are just things to help you out. So you yeah. kind of know your way around. You can you can kind of sling some words at some some people. Feel a little bit more at home at your at your building material supply store. That's right. So uh, let's move on. We talked about a lot about fasteners and hangers. Let's move on to siding. Well, that sounds exciting. <laughs> Egg siding. Egg siding. <laughs> yes, there's a lot about siding. Siding is a lot. There's a lot of components that go into siding, the different kinds of siding. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot outside that uh, on the outside, the envelope of the home or the exterior. There's a lot to talk about there. Yeah. Should we talk about weather resistant barriers first? And WRB work our way out. Yeah, WRB is a great place to start. WRB, which stands for weather resistant barrier or water resistant barrier, uh, basically is when you put siding or clapboards or whatever kind of siding you put on a home as the exterior finish, brick, whatever it is. Uh, beyond behind that, you need some sort of barrier to prevent moisture from coming into your home. In years past, that would be snorkel paper. Yeah, snorkel paper or 15-pound felt or 30-pound felt, Yeah, uh, which is, you know, a thing of the past. Now they're the newer ones uh, we're talking about. Or Super Jumbo Tech. Super Jumbo Techs. (laughs) Now we're talking about products uh, like Tyvek that are, or rain screen. Now, when you hear the term rain screen... It's kind of a funny term, right? Yeah. Rain screen. Especially since it sounds like it would be screening rain <laughs> when really it's not doing that at all. Well, what it basically what it is is a layer of of airspace between your building and your siding. 
And the reason we do that is so that any moisture that gets behind the siding doesn't have an opportunity to make its way into your home. Yeah, let's actually add a layer to that. It's between your sub-sheeting and your siding. Correct. There's a sheeting on the exterior of your house, whether it's plywood or OSB or something. And over that is your layer of weather-resistant barrier and then your siding. That, that is the last line of defense or the first line of defense against water coming in as rainform, right? Hitting, hitting your side of your house and not coming into your home. Well, there's lots of science in regards to why rain screens work the way they do. And they, the basic reason you have them is so it creates airflow behind your siding. Because if anytime you have water that gets trapped... Between two surfaces, you're creating rot and mold. Right. Right? It never dries out. So that's the whole idea. You put something back there that allows it to dry out. And back in the olden days, you know, I know there's a lot of people that say this, you know, call them old timers, where they come in and say, well, I've been building this way for 50 years, 60 or whatever. Mm -hmm. A house needs to breathe. And Tony and I talk about this show a lot, endlessly. We talk about how... Homes, yes, do need to breathe, but you want them to breathe properly. And they're from the right spot. Right. And now it, it doesn't even matter anymore because it's code. It's You're required by code to have a very tight, weather-sealed house. But what you're creating is a, an environment where moisture cannot get out. You know, back in the day when houses were built with, you know holes everywhere yeah and your furnace was just blowing air hot air or your fireplace was blowing hot air it would dry every it had an opportunity to dry everything out it was very inefficient but now that homes are super efficient you have to mitigate that moisture a different way which is how this building science has come to fruition you know and we've learned along the way you know, a long time ago, they used to put visqueen on walls. Yeah, they did. Until they realized that that was an epic disaster mm-hmm. uh, because of how it trapped moisture inside of the walls. So we've developed this way of using this weather-resistant barrier, such as Tyvek or Weather Smart. You know, there are these. The, it's basically a roll of paper uh, that's manufactured from different materials that allows moisture to pass through it in vapor form. So from outside of the house to go or inside of the house to go out because moisture will always travel, always, always, always travel from warm to cold. That's why you have a dew point. That's why water will condensate on a cold window because it hits, it's it's wanting to go through that glass. It's trying to go from warm to cold. And if the moisture travels from warm to cold and it finds its surface and that surface is between your siding and your sheeting and those are tight together, then you end up with what is water tension. The water is there and it can't get out right. because it's smashed between these two surfaces and the only thing it can do is just rot that wood. Yep. Just sits there and sits there and sits there. Because it can't get out. Yeah. So anyway... Enough about that. The weather-resistant barrier, there's a lot of products that go along with the water weather-resistant barrier, such as rain screen, which we talked about, which yeah. is an actual, uh, it creates an air gap, literally half inch, three-eighths, up to three-quarter of an inch thick of battens every 16 to 24 inches on center, uh, that you're spacing 
you're siding away from your house. Um, what are some other ones, Tony? I mean, here's the very ger- g- gen- generic term for it. House wrap. Yeah, house yeah, wrap. They'll, they'll call it house wrap. But if you walk in and ask for house wrap, there are so many brands that you could be buying. And brands is exactly what they are. Henry's makes a house wrap. Uh, HomeGuard, Tyvek, uh, WeatherSmart. There's just there's just so many. And having an idea of how how it's going to be installed because you've used it before. A lot of people have a preference because they've worked with it. They know how it works. But uh, they all essentially do the same thing. Right, right. Um, so when you do that, you're usually installing it with what's called seam tape. That's a term you'll hear, like Tyvek tape. Mm-hmm. It's very sticky. Uh, it's usually about an inch and a half or two inches, maybe even up to three inches wide, where you're putting this, the tape along all of the seams to tighten it up, all, all the air from getting in. Right. Um, and also, you also have uh, wrap caps or stingers. Stingers, Stinger staples are a brand name, but they uh, what basically what it w- does is it works with a hammer tacker. And there's a little plastic washer that presents itself in front of the staple. And as you hammer down, it staples through that little cap and creates a air and weather barrier at that point where you're stapling it in. Also creating a larger holding surface so that, so that the paper is not... Um, wanting to come off. Yeah, yeah, right, wanting to come off. Uh, you remember when those were simplex nails? No. They used to make a product called Simplex Nails, and it was a nail with a big washer that was right on the top, a big square washer. Oh. It was like a uh, it was like a ring shank type nail about an inch and a half or two inches long, and uh, and it had a big metal washer attached to the top. Called them Simplex Simplex Nails. That's new to me. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, what is it? So some other terms you'll hear a lot is window tape, you know, and there's lots of different brands of window tape. Tyvek makes theirs, FortiFlash, Vicor. Um, there's different types of window tapes within those brands. Also from, called adhesive flashing. Yeah. Uh, asphalt. We all know what asphalt tape smells like. Smells like fresh asphalt. Right, yep. Um, uh, but there's also what's called butyl. Butyl rubber is a step up. It doesn't dry out. It stays sticky for much longer. Lots and lots of different products there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I and this technology with adhesive tape branches into even more areas, which we can talk about after this break. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. Listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today, we're talking about lumber yard lingo. Uh, before the break, we were talking about siding and weather-resistant barriers or house wrap. Uh, but if you haven't already, go check out our Instagram and Facebook pages and follow us and like us. We're uh, at WW Home Show. Uh, you can also go to YouTube and search our page. It's the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. If you just search that, it'll bring us up. WWHomeShow.com. Yep, and WWHomeShow.com. If you listen to any part of the show, you missed it, you want to listen to the whole thing, you can go anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can go subscribe and download those. And finally, 
If you have any questions or comments for us, feel free to email us. We love hearing from our listeners, uh, good or bad. Sometimes we're wrong. We get actually emails all the time saying, you know, guys, you said this. Yep. But it was wrong. Yep. I don't mind hearing that. And I'll, I'll tell you, we'll come on the air and tell you when we said something wrong based on a listener that knows more than us. Because you know what? <laughs> we're weekend warriors and we sell lumber. Yeah. We just happen to know a lot and we've happened to uh, work on our houses for many years. And we like so, to share what we know. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't claim to know everything, but uh, but we do like to share what we know. We know a lot. Yeah. Uh, you, you can email us at uh, weekendwarriors at par.com. That's right. Thanks, weekendwarriors Tony. at par.com. Uh, before we went to the break, we were talking about WRB, weather resistive barrier. And uh, you, you we did mention house wrap as a general term for, for those different types of products. Here's another one, drain wrap. Now, drain wrap is like house wrap. House wrap is very, like paper, it's very flat, right? Tyvek house wrap. Uh, some of those products have little, you know, little nubs on them that create a, just a, just a little tiny space, right? When the when the siding comes together with the sheeting, it's just those little, you know that one of the little blue ants all over it, what it looks like? I don't know. Hydro what flash. Hydro, hydro something? Hydro gap. Hydro gap. Yeah. Uh, but drain wrap is actually, looks like it's paper that's kind of been crinkled up you know, wad it up like a piece of paper and then open back up. And what it does is it creates little channels for the water to run down after the siding is put on. So rain screen with battens is one way. And then, uh, you know, hydro gap, uh, drain wrap, which is a Tyvek product, uh, all those different products that can be used to essentially solve the same problem, which is keep water from being trapped between your siding and your sheeting. I know. We could totally get into the weeds and the science of all that, which... We've done in the show many times. We won't do it today. Yeah, uh, but it's really interesting to me how um, adhesive flashing that's used to flash the openings of for windows and doors and so many different things has morphed into so much more. Uh, so the same sort of technology is used to cover the tops of the joist on your deck, on your exterior deck. Before you deck it, you can take this product called Joist Tape, which I think is made by Trex. And, and you can cover the tops of all of your joists, which protect them from the weather out there and, and help them to last longer. Yeah, and it's a cool product. Th- yeah, it also Vicor Deck Protector. These are products that were sort of born from the adhesive flashing um, product line. Yeah. And adhesive flashing is used, of course, like we were talking about butyl or asphalt type. It's used to wrap the opening that is that is going to have a window or a door or something like that in it. So you you always, of course, the shingling effect is important. So you always start at the bottom and work your way up. That way, any water coming from the top would uh, run from surface to surface to surface without being able to get behind something. And so with the shingling effect, you just wrap the entire opening of a window or a door, and that helps to protect your product from, from uh, water damage. Yes, so much, so, so much, so much of that. Here's another little item, Corey. Sill pan. How about a sill pan? That's a, that's a funny term too. A sill pan is a product that actually gets installed under your door, um, or in, in some cases under a window. That so <clears throat> when water comes down, um, it, it will reach that sill pan and run out and not try to infiltrate or get up in in behind the door or the window. Yes, it's a last line of defense. That's for, right for under a door. All right, a couple more things, you know, when you're talking about weather-resistant barrier, uh, there's a few other products that you're going to use when you're siding. And, you know, some of these terms are like Z-flashing. You've probably heard that term before. It is essentially 
metal that has been bent into a Z. <laughs> it sounds silly, but it's it, you. what you would do is you would put this Z metal flashing on the tops of anything protruding out away from your building that's not covered in siding. So for instance, a window, you would use Z flashing on top of the window. So as water runs down the siding, it'll hit this Z metal and it sheds it away from the house. It's kind of that shingle of shingling effect you were talking about. Yeah, the flashing exactly gets, what flashing gets tucked in behind the siding. Yep. Mm-hmm. Some other terms would be uh, silicone, caulking, uh, acrylic, latex. There's all kinds of different caulking. Don't, you know, we talked about this before. 100% silicone. Yeah. We get people all the time come into the store and be like, I want a tube of 100% silicone. Yeah, it seems to say, have... Well, what are you using it for? It seems to have ties that go way, way back as being known as a product that really performs. Well, it does in many areas, but in some it doesn't. So you wouldn't want to use silicone, 100% silicone, in any application that you need to paint. Paint does not stick to silicone. Yeah. So as a siding product... It's not a very good idea. It's kind of funny because I imagine a place in the bathroom where I'll be caulking in a corner. I'm sealing in a corner, right? But in this corner, the product, the two products that I'm sealing between, let's say a a tile on the wall and a tile on the countertop, or maybe a, the countertop is a different product entirely. And there's a little crack there. You know, there's a little crack and I'm sealing up that crack. Mm-hmm. Well, if you seal that with silicone, you're going to be able to see right through it. Well, clear to have this I mean, black make, line there. They make color silicones. I mean, you get white and black silicone, different different colors, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 100% silicone kind of, to me, reminds me of a clear product. Yeah, totally. Well, they do make newer products out that are polyurethane based or polyether based. Lots of different uh, compounds they're putting into caulking these days. BASF is a huge manufacturer of said products. Um, but when you go in to buy any sort of caulking, I wouldn't just go in and say, give me a tube of Volcom. What's Volcom? <laughs> it's, a, it's a tube of, of polyurethane caulking, which was very, very popular for one reason. In the mid-90s. It was super sticky. Yeah. People absolutely loved it. But technology has far surpassed Volcom's ability to work, and we found out some weaknesses in its armor, right? Over the years, it dries out, it cracks, it and, shrinks. Yep. So in a lot of the newer products that are out work much, much better. So my advice to you as a listener, when you're going into the store to buy some sort of caulking or adhesive caulking, talk to the salesperson that's behind the counter or wherever and, and tell them what you're using it for and say, what is the best product out right now for this situation. And I guarantee you that somebody will have an opinion and at least give you some options. Cause when you go into the, the caulking and sealant aisle at par lumber, Holy moly. There's a lot of choices in there. There's at least 50. Yep. It's and crazy. it ranges from a dollar 99 to $10 a tube Yeah, to $10 a tube. And you definitely get what you pay for. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's move on to siding. You know, we talked about the weather resistant barrier and over that comes Siding. Siding's very, you know, that's the first thing you see. It's the the most beautiful part of a home. Uh, And there's probably a lot of terms that you've heard, but maybe some you haven't, like lap. 
yeah. know, lap siding or yeah. clapboards or, you know, beveled, beveled lap. Uh, that's basically the, the siding that you would see on, a, any, on any normal house. Beveled lap siding is made out of wood, right? Uh, made out of a solid sawn or a finger jointed and primed type cedar or redwood usually. And it is thicker at the butt than it is at the tip. That's the bevel, right? Three quarter inch or half an inch at the butt. And it could be eight or 10 inches wide, maybe even six, half by six mm -hmm. or 11 sixteenths by six cedar, usually primed. Uh, sometimes finger jointed and sometimes not. Yep. Sometimes roughs on, sometimes smooth. And then you got your Hardy products, which totally defies all that. Yeah, so. and that, that product, of course, is intended to replace that at a much at a much lower price. We're gonna take a quick break, we'll be right back. Don't go away. Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Today we're talking about lumber yard lingo. Before the break, we moved on to siding. There's lots and lots and lots of terminology when you're talking about siding. We talked about lap siding, beveled siding, uh, sidewall shakes, uh, board and batten. You know, board and batten is a very popular siding technique used now. Uh, back in the olden days, board and bat was literally that. They used a board 10 or 12, 14, 16 inches wide of real wood cedar that would they would cover the whole house with that vertically. And then at every seam, they would put a batten to cover up the seam. And that was what was referred to as board and batten. Well, Fast forward to today, we don't have pieces of wood like that. We use panel, typically LP panel or hardy panel, and then simulate the battens. We put them on the panel every 16 or 12 inches on center to give that look. It's a really a cool look. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we actually now have plywood products and other types of panel products that simulate that. We call reverse board and bat which is uh, like T111. It's a plywood product that has grooves that sort of gives the same aesthetic. It's not the same, of course, but it gives the same aesthetic. So you might hear somebody say reverse board and bat or, or uh, T111, and those are products that are exterior siding products that are meant to look like what we're used to from years gone by. Yeah, T111 is actually a, a term. It's kind of a broad term that people use for many different plywood roughs on plywood products that have grooves in them but it technically is texture 111 it's a it's a very specific texture but uh, you can go into the store and say hey i need a sheet of t111 and they'll go four inch or eight inch <laughs> yeah. and that just means how far on center the grooves are they and also ask you is it half inch or five eighths yeah they can because if it's half inch it's made by louisiana pacific lp yeah and if it's then if it's five eighths then it's a plywood product yep so, which takes me down to the next term, rough sawn. <laughs> and I actually had, I have a funny story about this, uh, that I actually had a guy call me who thought it was song, S-O-N-G. <laughs> so I need some song plywood. I'm like, what? It took me forever yeah. to figure out what he was talking about. He's actually saying rough sawn. I was like, oh, 
You know, he's explaining it to me. It's like, you know, it's like fuzzy, furry plywood. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Some people call it rough tex. Yeah, also. rough tex. Rougher head. There's different, you know, terms over the years where yeah. pro- brand names have infiltrated into yeah, their Breckenridge. terminology. Uh, very common. Somebody call it Breckenridge. I'm looking for Breckenridge. It's a clear cedar, rough sawn, clear cedar product. Yeah, some people call it 18 patch. I'm looking for 18 patch. Yep. It's Which got is- little football patches in it. You've seen it. Yep. You've all seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, shutters. I think we all know what shutters are. Shutters? Shutter. I shudder to, to think. think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because shutters aren't what shutters were, right? Shutters used to be used, of course, to close over your windows and uh, to protect them from elements outside. These days, it's just a plastic panel that you attach to the side of your windows that is uh, just a decorative look. Yeah, you go over to like Colonial Delaware, I'm sure you'll find some real shutters. Some real shutters, probably really expensive. Uh, what about this one? Hose bib block. Yeah, That's hose funny, bib. Funny name. Yeah, uh, hose bib actually is the name of the faucet that you would find on the outside of your house. That faucet with the little handle that turns your water on and off is a hose bib. In the little block that you put on to to cover the hole up where the pipe comes through to finish it off. It just gives it a finished look. It's called a hose bib block. It allows you to side up to the block, and it gives you a good uh, finished detail there. All right, Tony, let's move on to windows and doors, because I actually have a really funny story. You know, windows and doors, there's lots of terminology, and we've We've talked about windows and doors on this show. Did I say windows? <laughs> you might have. Windows yeah. and doors on the show many, many times. Uh, but there is one funny term that I learned a long time ago, but I, I actually had it happen to me. I'll tell you this quick story. It's weep holes. <laughs> yeah. Weep holes. It's a yeah. very funny term. Uh, but essentially what it is, when you have a vinyl window and you have the piece of glass double pane glass that's glazed into that window using tape on one side on one side well then there's a snap bead and all this thing that goes in to finish off the other side well when water hits that glass and drips down it's not just waterproof you know it goes inside of the window frame has nowhere to go other than it sheds down and goes into that window frame and on the exterior of the bottom side of your window there's what's called weep holes and sometimes you might get uh, mason bees clogging those up where they'll come in there. That happened at my house. Mason bees came in and nested inside of our weep holes and all our windows. So after they hatched, I had to go clean all that out. Yeah, mess. Uh, anyway, but recently uh, we were at the family beach house and we had a serious problem with water coming into the house through the windows. And we thought that the glass itself or something or the windows themselves were leaking. So we had to tear it apart. We were tearing apart the wood, trying to figure out where this water was coming in. You had water standing on the floor, on, on the, the floor, finished floor, on the finished floor and in the window sills. So it didn't really make sense that it was on the window sills. Right. So popped into my head. I ran outside, looked at the weep holes and mind you, this side of the house faces the ocean. And these windows have just recently been installed. Uh, yeah, within the last five years. Okay. They're fairly new. And we go out, and we had just gotten the house painted, right? So the house was just painted, and the siders, or, or the painters, caulked over the weep holes. They, caulked, they did all the caulking, and they caulked over the weep holes. And plugged them all Unbeknownst up. to us. Right. 
and plugged them all up completely. And sure enough, I got my little razor knife out and I cut all the caulking out from the first window there on the window bank. And water literally started glugging out. Yeah. Glug, glug, glug. There had to have been a quart of water in there. Just yeah. absolutely incredible. And it wouldn't, absolutely would not hold any more water. And so it started to come out in the only place that it could, which was through the, which was through the, uh, yeah, the, the, where the window. Snap bead on the inside. Yeah, where the window meets the, the vinyl, frame. the frame. Mm -hmm. And there's just, it's not much there except for some little adhesive tape. Yep. A window's designed to, to let water in and, and then out. let it out. Yeah. It's and, all about water management. And at the coast, man, I tell you, that wind and rain, that wind-driven rain is brutal. Wow, that is a crazy That must have been disheartening to walk into this, um, you know, newly remodeled home and find water on the finished floor. Yeah, that it was just been crazy. It was a mess. But anyway, that term, weepole. Weepole, yes. A funny one. Not Make intended sure to be those. plugged. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's go through this here. Entry door, full light. So when you talk about a light... Half light, full light, three-quarter light. That's the window inside of the door. We've talked about it on that show lots and lots. Yeah, and if that window doesn't have any grids in it, then it's a then it's a single light. But if it's got grids, it could be a nine light, or it could be a, I don't know, a 12 light. Yeah, lots of It could be a different. 226 light <laughs> if they're really tiny grid bars. And I'll tell you one thing, the glass in that door is going to be tempered. Yes, it's for another sure. term you'll probably hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's, let's talk about windows real quick, Tony. Oh, one more actually with doors. Transom. That's oh, it's a transom. funny name. Yeah. Transom. Transom. That is actually a window that goes over the door, over the top of the door. It's like a side light, but it's a top light, a top light over the door. Yeah. And a side light next to the door. And it's very cool. Uh, let's talk about window terms as far as the different types of windows. There's a lot of different types of windows that all operate in a different way. Like? Like, for example, you can have a window that opens out. We call that a crank window. It can open out uh, on the bottom of the window, which would be an awning window. It can open on the, from the side, which would be a left or a right. That would be a casement window. Those types of crank out windows are the best performers because when the wind is driving outside, it's actually pushing the window closed into the seal, making it seal better. And then, of course, there's sliding windows, windows that slide up and down, windows that slide left and right. Those Single hung, double hung. Yep, single hung and double hung. Also, uh, a window that doesn't open at all, a picture window or a non-operable window. Man, so, so many different window types. It just helps to have the terms when you go into the store to order one that you know what it is. Yeah. And the best thing to do is, honestly, just to talk to somebody. Yeah, it helps to know, it helps to sound like you know what you're talking about. Well, you know that's, how, that's how we go through life. That's, how we, <laughs> that's exactly how we go through life. And so every little piece of information helps you take another step confidently and uh, move through your project. I think it's, uh, I think it's invaluable, all of this information that we're, that yeah. we're sharing. Hopefully you found a little bit of uh, information that you did not know, and you can share that with people that you know. And if you've never ordered one, a Dutch door is a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> all right, folks, that's all the time we got. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here on the Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week.